This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This is Chris, and we are back at our normally scheduled time. This is not a pre-recorded episode, unlike last week. I am back in sunny, although a little bit cooler this week, the uh, central east coast of Florida, the space coast of Florida, just down the beach from where they launch rockets from when we go to the moon the next time. The next time mankind sets foot on the moon, it will be from here. And when Bitcoin goes to the moon, I will be here as well, hopefully. That being said, today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023, and of course, that means it is DCA Wednesday. As you know, last week I was out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and so we used Cash App's auto stack, basically auto buy program, their auto DCA program to do our stack, Uh, and then a lot happened. Uh, I was out at sea again on Friday uh, when things just absolutely hit the fan, didn't really know about it until Saturday when hopefully I orange-pilled some people in a cigar lounge on a boat. Uh, We'll see if that happens and if either of you are listening, any of you are listening. uh, Hello, aloha. Nice to talk to you again. Hopefully we'll meet up again before too long and you'll be a a Bitcoiner, maybe even a Holcoiner. Real quick before we get into all of that, a quick look at the vital statistics. As of the time of this recording, Bitcoin is sitting at a blockchain block height of 780,985, and Bitcoin is ringing in at a USD value, a US dollar value of $24,460 per Bitcoin, or 4,088 sats per dollar. Uh, not up dramatically from where we were a couple weeks ago, but boy, what a roller coaster it had been if you're, if you're following those, uh, those prices by the second, if you're staring at price charts. Once again, as we point out, when you zoom out, you look at the big picture, Bitcoin isn't quite as volatile. And uh, when when you're just looking at data points once a week, our dollar cost average on Wednesdays, our weekly DCA, that's certainly the case. Because just yesterday, Bitcoin had soared to as high as 26,553. And of course, it had crashed down as low briefly as the upper 19,000 range. I think I snagged uh, a, a dip. I bought the dip. I think I snagged a few Satoshis at about... $19,800. Got lucky because it wasn't there for very long. Uh, You know, if you were following the news, uh, Bitcoin and pretty much everything tanked when uh, Silicon Valley Bank was shuttered. You know, the bank collapse news and the contagion fears uh, that are out there, some of which have resolved themselves with the new, whether or not you want to call it a bailout, uh, bailout, bailout, the non-bailout, bailout. And then, of course, uh, risk assets and Bitcoin have exploded in value, uh, exploded in price against the U.S. dollar after the Fed and the Treasury and the FDIC came out and decided that not only were they going to insure accounts at failed banks for the $250,000 that insured accounts were insured for, they were going to insure all accounts for their entire balances. That is completely unprecedented. We'll get into that a little more after we finish with the vital statistics. Uh, Real close to this block puts us about 59,015 blocks away from the next halving. That is coming at you faster and faster every day. Seems to be getting sooner and sooner because, you know, in bull runs or when hash rate is increasing, those blocks tend to come in a little faster than the 10 minutes they're supposed to average. They've been zooming in in the nine-minute range for months now. Uh, And as a result, we're looking at the next Bitcoin halving, which occurs occurs at block 840,000, which is looking like now that's going to be on April 21st of 2024. So just a little over a year and one month away. And if blocks keep zooming in at the rate they're coming in, uh, maybe it'll be even sooner than that. Depending on which estimator you look at, it's currently forecast to happen anytime between the middle of March, so right about a year from now, to sometime in June of 2024. One thing's for sure, it's going to happen one way or another. Uh, and it, it does, traditionally, Bitcoin has launched into uh, its next parabolic bull market uh, a few months, six months to a year or so after that halving. Uh, we've always set a new all-time high. Uh, and so yippee you know, uh, they say there's a lot of things different about this cycle, and they've said that about every cycle that I've witnessed. 
Uh, this time is the first time that Bitcoin has witnessed a major financial crisis. But of course, that's exactly why Bitcoin was designed, right? You know, the Genesis block had the Times of London headline about Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks. The financial collapse of 2008 was the inspiration to finally uh, launch Bitcoin. At least that's what we believe. Um, so the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Back to those vital statistics. Bitcoin's current price puts it at a market capitalization of $472.5 billion. Uh, I don't have last week's market cap available, but that is about $20 billion higher than it was two weeks ago. Uh, I don't have, my notes are kind of jumbled because I didn't bring this laptop with me out to sea. I know it would have been a perfect opportunity for a boating accident, right? Uh, I, I missed out on this one. I'll have to have a, a different boating accident. But I didn't want to lose my laptop, and I didn't want to bring my laptop through customs. So, uh, I've, my notes are a little discombobulated this week. Either way, we're looking at a market capitalization around a half of what Bitcoin was when it was at its $1 trillion market cap during the last bull run. Bitcoin only has to breach the 50-something thousand dollar range, right around 52,000, I believe, uh, per Bitcoin to retake that 500 or that, I'm sorry, that $1 trillion market cap. Uh, and if you think Bitcoin's going to do anything like it did in the previous having cycle bull runs uh it'll blow through one trillion and never look back all right for those of you who still value your wealth in peter shift bucks and shiny yellow rocks and little yellow round coins it will currently cost you 12.7 ounces of gold to purchase just one bitcoin despite the fact that gold has rallied you know in in uh, um, alongside all the other risk ads and hedges uh since the svb collapse uh, that is still about the same as last week. Uh, two weeks ago, I, it would cost you 12.9 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. So holding relatively steady in terms of gold at the moment. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently buy you 1,449 Papa John's pizzas. A lot more pizza than Laszlo got for his uh, Bitcoin back on the first Bitcoin pizza day when he purchased two large Papa John's pizzas for 100,000 Bitcoin. Uh, or whatever that worked out to. Um, sorry, I got distracted by my old notes. The mempool is full again. If you remember, it had been completely clogged uh, pretty much ever since the ordinals and inscriptions thing came along. Uh, Matt Odell and Marty Bent had that bet that the mempool would never clear again. And of course it did. It did clear briefly, maybe uh, when some of the ordinal hysteria faded a bit. But at the moment with transactions zooming in, there's currently 61 blocks where the transactions pending in the mempool. I uh, don't have what that was last week, but two weeks ago, it was that was 29. There were 29 blocks for the transactions pending in the mempool, so double the number of transactions in the mempool from two weeks ago. Uh, of course, that is expected when uh, when there's you know a, 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 a rush either to buy or sell, right? When there's more transactions hitting on chain, uh, the you know the, the blockchain can only handle so many transactions per second, so uh, you'd expect the the blockchain to or the mempool to fill and then uh, usually clears out on nights and weekends, Europe and America time. And it didn't this weekend probably because of the SVB, you know, the banking collapse, et cetera. But um, who knows whether they, whether the mempool will ever clear out again. Uh, part of those are, you know, those ordinals and inscriptions transactions, which I don't personally care if they sit in the mempool for weeks. Others are low priority traction, transactions. Like I sent some Bitcoin to a hardware wallet and I set it for the one Satoshi per byte uh, transaction fee. So, uh, I don't care if it takes 24 hours or 48 hours to to uh, to get confirmed. I know it's going to end up on my hardware wallet, and uh, and I'm not I'm not in a hurry. So a lot of those are those transactions as well. But there's 61 blocks where the transactions currently pending in the mempool, and that's nowhere near where we saw during the 2017 bull run. Of course, that was before Segwit. But we'll have to see how that uh, works out. But I think it was in the 120 to 150 blocks pending at least. My, if my memory serves me correct, during December of 2017. And we're nowhere near that. And Bitcoin adoption has surged tremendously compared uh, to back then. A lot of things have changed since back then. Lightning is more mainstream. Uh, Lightning didn't even really exist uh, at the you know right after the last halving. Uh, and speaking of the mempool, it still says, the estimator still says that two Satoshi per byte transactions will clear within a day, that one sat per byte transactions will clear within a week. But that if you want to guarantee your transaction is included on chain in the next block, that you need to include a fee of at least 30 sats per byte. 
Uh, still relatively inexpensive, although almost double what it was two weeks ago. Uh, but again, nowhere near when, you know, again, pre-segwit during the last uh, having bull run when it would cost you up to 50, upwards to a 50, 50 US dollars worth of uh, Bitcoin just in mining fees. And of course, uh, you know, Bitcoin at the time was worth less than it is now. So uh, it was even more in terms of Satoshi's. And that metric that you know I like to follow, the 24-hour on-chain transaction rate, is zooming right along. Uh, I like to see it above three transactions per second, ideally above pi, 3.14 transactions per second. Speaking of which, yesterday was pi day. If you're a numbers guy, happy pi day, belated by one day. I certainly celebrated pi day. Um, but it is definitely above pi, zooming in at four transactions per second, four transactions per second even. That is a lot of on-chain activity. And again, that doesn't even include any of the uh, lightning transactions just you know when a channel is open or closed but i haven't opened any channels on my lightning node in months uh, i've you know i've keep my channels balanced and uh, have been using the same channels and that's one of the neat things about lightning i think in the future uh, when you talk about bitcoin transactions you're just going to automatically mean lightning or maybe another second layer solution that we don't even know about yet and only really really substantial transactions will be on chain and we're talking about you know, big banks or governments sending each other money or whales, you know, moving an entire generational nest egg of Bitcoin around. Uh, we're not talking about that cup of coffee at Starbucks or even a couple thousand dollars. Uh, those will all be done on the Lightning Network, I, I firmly believe, or, or whatever we have in the future. You know, that's one thing I've always said when you know, I'm not going to get into global warming or any of those other uh, debates right now, but one of the things I've always said about global warming, for example, is it's silly to try and solve a problem that's going to happen 100 or 200 years from now. You know, we can talk about the 2040 bug, or the, sorry, the 2140 bug, quote unquote, the fix that will eventually need to be made to Bitcoin 100 years from now. And it's silly to even think about it right now because you don't know what you don't know. You know, we don't know what technology is going to exist 20 years from now, let alone 100 years from now. So to try and solve a problem that's going to take place 100 years from now with today's technology is silly. That would be like, you know, worrying about uh, highway safety regulations in the 1700s and trying to, you know, apply, you know, horse and buggy regulations to the space shuttle. Uh, it's just, it's silly. It's ludicrous. Uh, one of the, my, one of the examples I think I've talked about before was back when they phased out the incandescent light bulb and they mandated those stupid compact fluorescents, which are more efficient than, uh, than incandescent light bulbs, but they're worse on your eyes. They have a whole lot of other problems. They're, uh, they're hazmat, you know, they contain mercury and other nasty chemicals in them. If you break them, you're not supposed to vacuum it up. It's technically a hazmat situation if you break an old fluorescent light bulb or a compact fluorescent. Uh, and, you know, for the modest electricity savings you got, they ramrodded that through. When LED bulb technology was already, was already there, LEDs weren't fantastic at the time, not, not anywhere near as awesome as they are now. But if they just waited, obviously LEDs were the no-brainer, right? Who even has a compact fluorescent bulb unless it's like a you know, a specialized grow lamp or a saltwater aquarium reef light or something. And even my saltwater reef tank is LEDs now. So, and LEDs are way more efficient than compact fluorescents. I don't have the exact spec specifications right now, but let's say the standard incandescent light bulb in a house was 100 watts. I think a compact fluorescent would have been about 35 watts for the same light, but then, a, you know, an LED is like 10 watts. I mean, it's radically better technology, but they tried to force the old fluorescent office space type uh, lighting through uh, because they were trying to solve tomorrow's problem with the technology of the past. Uh, and, you know, that, that, that applies to Bitcoin, the Bitcoin as well. And we don't know where we're going to be in a, uh, in a hundred years or even in 20 years uh, is my point. So uh, who knows what technology we'll be using? Who knows what second layer solutions we'll be using? It may or may not be lightning. Uh, you know, maybe lightning turns out to be the compact fluorescent bulb of second layer solutions. Uh, but only because something really good comes along that we don't that we can't anticipate yet. And speaking of things coming along, the next difficulty adjustment for the mining difficulty uh, is about 1,223 blocks away. Well, it's exactly 1,223 blocks away. For those of you who don't know, Bitcoin mining difficulty is adjusted every 2016 blocks. The idea is uh, Bitcoin is designed to have approximately one block found by miners every 10 minutes. Back in the day when people were just mining with their laptops, there was a lot less computational power dedicated to securing the blockchain. Every day that's been increasing as ASICs continue to get 
you know, more specialized and or ASICs came along, which were specialized. Mining equipment became more specialized, more efficient, faster, better, and more people got into mining. Uh, and because the hash rate has usually been going up, uh, difficulty has been increasing. There have been times when difficulty has pulled back. For example, when the China mining ban happened uh, and 40% or 30% of the network hash power was temporarily offline, mining got temporarily easier. And then as those miners started to come back online, either in China or other places in the world, difficulty readjusted. Same thing happened when you know the miners shut down a huge percentage of the mining in Texas. Uh, when they were pumping their money back into the grid, to the grid stabilization agreements they have with ERCOT, uh, one of the many ways that Bitcoin is actually helping the environment, helping stabilize the energy grid. Nonetheless, in general, just like in Bitcoin in general, if you zoom out, the trend in, in hash power and mining power has been up and to the right, just like the price of Bitcoin, even though there have been those dips and valleys. Uh, and as a result, it looks like the difficulty to mine, the next block is going to increase uh, anywhere from about 3.01 to 8.6% on top of the 1.2% mining difficulty we just had about a week ago uh, and 10% mining difficulty increase we had two weeks uh, before that approximately. And that is because, like I said, Bitcoin blocks have been zooming along right now. They're currently averaging in this difficulty adjustment epoch, nine minutes and 12 seconds per block. Obviously, that's an average. Sometimes blocks can come in right one on top of each other, you know, within seconds of each other at the same time even. Uh, that's a different story completely. And other times I've seen it take, you know, half an hour, an hour, or whatever for a block. It's just an average, right? But that average should work out to uh, over, uh, over, you know, a span of 2016 blocks. It should work out to 10 blocks uh, between Bitcoin and it is not the case. So, uh, hence the difficulty increase that we'll be looking at, yet another difficulty increase. And that's nothing unusual. Uh, one of the things that people always FUD about, you know, one of the minor FUDs that people talk about is when uh, the hash rate gets uh, to a certain point, you know, Bitcoin will, won't be profitable enough and, and miners will turn off their, their mining equipment and we'll have a minor death spiral. And obviously that's silly and that's a FUD that comes out. There's multiple minor death spiral FUDs that have come out every four years or more, have always been proven wrong. Because the genius of the difficulty adjustment is uh, when mining difficulty, or, you know, when mining hash power does come offline, that, you know, the difficulty decreases, which makes the remaining miners more profitable. And then that encourages people to turn mining equipment back on. And it kind of stabilizes hash power, or, or it, it tries to. Plus, Bitcoin price has been continually going up and to the right. And therefore, even if you're getting fewer Satoshis per block mine, those Satoshis have been worth more and more over time. Uh, and that's why we keep seeing people dumping uh, more and more terahashes of mining power onto the network, even though Bitcoin had been in a bear market. Uh, you know, everybody knows the next bull market's just around the corner, and they're making that bet by adding more hash power to the network. And there's also the possibility that a lot uh, more ASICs were built during the China lockdown that were just now getting shipped, is one theory I heard. It's possible the latest generation miners have already been manufactured. Bitmain in China has a habit of running brand new miners for 90 days or so to quote unquote test them before they ship them out. Uh, obviously, it's kind of like the Cantillion effect when you know the first new miners uh, the, that go online are more are get more benefit than the last portion of the faster miners coming online because the market is getting saturated, the hash power is going up, and so the difficulty adjusts. But if you're the first person to turn on that brand new app miner, the brand new what's miner, whichever miner you're using. Uh, you you know you you get to mine more Bitcoin before that difficulty adjustment, but I digress. I think that was all the statistics I wanted to go over. And boy, do we have a lot of news to get into this week, uh, and most of it obviously has to do with the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, the bank collapse in general. Before we get into that, real quick shout out to those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain App or Breeze Wallet. Uh, we don't, at least as the time of this recording, have any boosts in the last week to read. Uh, but there are a lot of you listening out there, uh, and we do have a fairly international audience. Things have changed a little bit since last week, but currently 51% of you are listening from the United States. 13% uh, of you are listening from Argentina. I believe that's down a couple percentage points. I don't, uh, I don't, don't know if that's because we had, uh, we had fewer listeners to my pre-recorded episode than we normally get. Um, sometimes that happens. Podcasts, I've noticed, tend to see, see a dip in listeners. Uh, when the price is tanking, when the price is uh, when the price is on a bull run, when it's ripping, but people are more excited. There's more newbies, more more people trying to get orange pilled, uh, more people 
buying their first Bitcoin, they listen to more podcasts, consume more content. Uh, but also, uh, it was a pre-recorded episode. So, and I said it was going to be a pre-recorded episode in advance. So maybe, maybe this week's statistics are skewed. But in the meantime, thirteen percent of you are listening in Argentina. So Buenos dias, amigos. Seven uh, percent of you are listening from Germany. Uh, guten Abend once again, mein Freunds in Deutschland. Three uh, percent of you are listening from Luxembourg. Possibly some of you are the same people that are also listening from Deutschland. Uh, right, Leggy, if you're listening out there. Hello, Leggy, again. Three percent of you are listening from Colombia. So hola, buenos dias in Colombia. Two percent of you are listening from Canada, what we joking like to refer to as the frozen Great White North. And boy, is that the case this week. I was listening to the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast, and I guess they had 60 centimeters of snow, two and a half feet or so of snow up there recently. Hard to believe when you're sitting in the sun and it's, you know, getting heat stroke down in the tropics, or in this case, uh, a nice cool, but still 75 degree day in Florida on the beach. 2% of you listening from Spain, 2% of you listening from Venezuela, 1% of you listening from Sweden, and 1% of you are listening from the United Kingdom. So, hola, guten Abend, muchas gracias for all of you around the world for listening. Uh, danke schön, danke für alles, muchas gracias amigos. And thank you very much uh, for all of you listeners all the way, all around the world. That's, that's really cool. Uh, before we get into the ugly news to cover, some breaking positive news today. Fidelity Digital Assets, at least according to an article in The Block today, has quietly opened their uh, Fidelity crypto to the masses. Fidelity, according to The Block, uh, they write, Millions of users can now trade Bitcoin and Ether commission-free on the platform. The app was previously restricted to a waitlist with users given access on a rolling basis. Fidelity Crypto is open to new and existing customers. First-time customers must create a Fidelity brokerage account during the setup process. This service is not yet available in all states. They're probably talking about New York. You know, you've got that uh, a bit license in New York and the banking laws in New York that are a lot harder to comply with. Uh, I don't know which states Fidelity is not currently available in, but that's big news. Fidelity Digital Assets had already been, you know, available to uh, accredited investors, I believe, you know, in on, on that beta, on that beta basis. But Fidelity is a big, big brokerage company. So hopefully you can see, a, you can expect to see a lot more noobs, a lot more uh, 80 percenters, as Adam Meister likes to call them, uh, become plebs and buy their first Bitcoin, even if they buy it through a custodian like Fidelity. And a lot of people that use Fidelity don't have a choice. They're using it because it manages their, their, their 401k or their IRA, you know, their retirement plan. So, uh, you know, I can't, without, I can't recommend doing a, a self-directed 401k because they can be a royal pain in the butt. There's companies out there that offer to let you do it. I have some experience with self-directed 401ks and it is, the juice test isn't necessarily worth the squeeze in my humble opinion. So um, my retirement funds, including any Bitcoin I have, uh, would be, well, I don't have any Bitcoin in my retirement account. I have exposure to Bitcoin because I, I'm not willing to hold Bitcoin with a, with a custodian, but um, funds that I have to have with a custodian, I, have, I do have some, some companies with Bitcoin exposure in my 401k and my IRA. Uh, and hopefully a lot more people will too. And now that Fidelity Crypto will let them actually buy Bitcoin, even though it's custodial and it's IOU Bitcoin, uh, that's still good for Bitcoin adoption in my humble opinion. Uh, and then, you know, maybe the whole problem with custodial versus non-custodial Bitcoin will just completely go away. I mean, if we have hyper-Bitcoinization one day and Bitcoin is just cash, right? Uh, or even just more uh, mainstream global adoption, the way that, you know, custody, the way that custody is even thought of will, will change. Like I said earlier, you know, you can't, you can't solve problems of the future when you don't know what the technology is going to be in the future. And kind of the same applies to, you know, banking and custody rules, because one day if there is no U.S. dollar, if there's no yen, if there's no euro, if people are just using Bitcoin, other rules are different. You know, the cash in your back pocket won't be there. It'll be Bitcoin on your hardware wallet or your phone. Uh, and I digress. That's, you know, that's, that's wishful thinking, but, um, but it is good news. It is exciting news to see Fidelity crypto going, going mainstream and available to anybody now. That's, that's, that's cool. Uh, I still highly recommend you buy your own Bitcoin and you keep it in your hardware wallet. But, you know, if you want to buy it, if you're one of those people that just won't get it off an exchange, uh, there's one more way to buy Bitcoin, uh, custodial IOU Bitcoin anyway. So over the weekend, starting with Friday, we had the SVB, Silicon Valley Bank collapse. And that was a huge deal because something like 96% of all, all funds on deposit were uninsured, were not insured by the FDIC. 
And more importantly than just a lot of people losing their life savings, a lot of businesses were going to lose their life savings. And some big businesses like Shopify, Roku, uh, I forget the others off the top of my head, but they were fairly well-known businesses. And most of the, of the tech startups uh, recently, you know, the Silicon Valley types tech, tech startups had their money there. Since then, on Sunday before the markets could open and the, and the proverbial feces hit the rotating air oscillator, uh, the the Treasury, the FDIC, and the Fed got together and announced that not only were they they were going to insure, you know, they were going to insure beyond the two hundred fifty thousand dollars insurance that banks provide, uh, they were going to insure all deposits, whether they're personal deposits, business deposits, whatever. Uh, more on that in the fu- in the future, but um, that spawned a huge rally in risk assets, um, including assets like Bitcoin, which pumped as high as more than twenty six thousand. Uh, before settling back down to where we are right now. Uh, of course, in addition to Silicon Valley Bank, we had the Silvergate Bank fiasco. We had Signature Bank fiasco. Uh, more on Signature Bank, but apparently even Signature Bank wasn't even insolvent. Apparently, Silver Bank, apparently Signature Bank was closed 100% exclusively to make an example out of crypto, to shut down a crypto on-ramp. The, you know, the then-you-fight-you phase thing where I've always said that war on Bitcoin is already taking place, that the United States the way they were going to go attack Bitcoin was to make it a pain in the butt to use. And they already did that with, with the onerous IRS regulations as far as uh, capital gains reporting for every transaction you make on Bitcoin. They try to make it as complicated as possible. That way they can say, it's not an attack. This is just common sense regulation, right? Like any other investment. Uh, but they know it makes it a pain in the butt to keep track of you know cost basis and, and capital gain, whether long-term or short-term. And for every Satoshi that you, that you spend, uh, and this is another way to kill those on-ramps. There are only so many banks that would bank, that would offer banking services to the exchanges, and now basically all but one of them are gone. One of the last to fall was Signature Bank. And according to tweets going around, promoted by uh, Nick Carter and Caitlin Long, Caitlin Long has her own bone to pick because you know they, they're denying a banking charter to her Custodia Bank, which would be a highly regulated Basically, check all the check marks, comply with all the regulations the government says they want crypto banks to have to comply with. Still refuse nonetheless. Um, but according to the tweet by Nick Carter, the government can apparently seize banks that are not insolvent just because they don't like them. Uh, with a tweet, I'm with a document highlighting, quote, uh, are we the first bank to be closed totally without being insolvent? I, I don't know where he got this from, but basically it sounds like it's from Signature Bank. Are we the first bank to be closed totally without being insolvent? And if so, Why? Uh, that's why I speculate that using us as a poster child to say stay away from crypto is the reason. Even Barney Frank, you know, Barney Frank, as in the Dodd-Frank bill, former chairman of the House Financial Services Committee from 2007 to 2011. So basically the person who wrote or was in charge of the committee that wrote every regulation that stemmed from the 2008, the 2008 banking collapse financial crisis was the leading co-sponsor of that Dodd-Frank amendment that regulates banks, that determine what banks' reserve requirements are, et cetera. Um, admitted that basically Signature Bank was closed exclusively to make an example out of Bitcoin, to punish Bitcoin, uh, with uh, an article from CNBC saying, for his part, Frank, who helped draft the landmark Dodd-Frank Act after the 2008 financial crisis, said there was, quote, no real objective reason that Signature Bank had to be seized. Quote, I think part of what happened was that regulators wanted to send a very strong anti-crypto message, Frank said. Quote, we became the poster boy because there was no insolvency on the fundamentals. So apparently Signature Bank was shut down for absolutely no reason other than it was an attack on Bitcoin. Uh, this leaves basically Prime Trust out there as pretty much one of the last remaining uh, fiat on-ramps for exchanges. For example, if you buy your Bitcoin from Swan or if you buy your Bitcoin using your Fold card, you know they don't actually handle, uh, they don't actually handle that transaction for you. Prime Trust does. That why that way that way they don't need money transmitter licenses. They don't need to be set up as a bank. They basically contract to Prime Trust to handle those transactions for you. If Prime Trust gets put out of business next, it makes it a lot more difficult for those on ramps and off ramps, which ultimately is good for Bitcoin anyway. Because hey, force me to spend my Bitcoin, right? Make it harder for uh, make it harder for for noobs to get in, and that's going to make the existing Bitcoin. Well, who knows? I don't have a crystal ball, but logically. If it's harder to buy Bitcoin, that doesn't necessarily mean the price of Bitcoin goes down. That means the Bitcoin that's available for sale, the amount number of Satoshis that you can purchase, the Bitcoin's liquidity goes down, uh, and the same amount of money chasing after fewer amount of Bitcoin would mean that the price would potentially skyrocket. So bring it. 
And the long and the short of it is they're going to fail in this attack on Bitcoin. And I'm kind of an accelerationist on this, an accelerationist on this anyway. Go ahead and bring about your own demise. Uh, that'll help us. That'll help us on our route ultimately to hyper-Bitcoinization. So uh, I'm not worried about it. And if it does knock the price of Bitcoin down, that makes me even happier because I'm going to stack more sats for my US dollars while my fiat still exists. So speaking of Barney Frank, Elizabeth Warren and Barney Frank have tried to blame literally everything but themselves uh, for the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, etc. Blaming everything from Bitcoin, obviously, to Donald Trump. Uh, and according to an article making the rounds highlighted by the Drudge Report and Semaphore, uh, they are reporting the quote, as Congress looks to pin the blame for the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, both Republicans and Democrats say it looks like regulators of the Federal Reserve fell down hard on their job. Lawmakers are asking how examiners of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, which was in charge of supervising SVB, failed to spot signs of trouble that later sparked a run by its depositors. They note that the issues were readily visible on SVB's public financial statements and drew attention from short sellers months before. Now, here's probably the biggest clue to be taken from this article, the next sentence. Making optics worse, SVB's CEO sat on the San Francisco Fred's board until Friday. So there's a lot of reasons why the Fed is potentially responsible for this collapse. You know, not only was it that the interest rates going up all of a sudden made all these banks that have put their reserves in treasury bonds that are paying zero. The price of those bonds have been plummeting because as the yield goes down, as, as you know, the yield goes down comparatively, the value of those bonds goes down. Uh, so that's why, you know, they had to sell those bonds at a loss. And that's what, that's what spurred the collapse. That's what spurred the, the run and led to their collapse. Uh, but now it's just flat out corruption. Our good old friend, you know, hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. The lunatics running the asylum. In this case, SVB freaking regulating itself. The regulating, the, the, the governing body that oversaw Silicon Valley Bank, the San Francisco Fed, their CEO sat on the freaking board. More things stay the same, the more they change, right? The more things change, the more things stay the same. And speaking things you can count on to stay the same, the inverse Kramer rule is in effect again. Jim Kramer, what a freaking joke that guy is. And I, I don't want to be the guy that keeps giving him attention because that's part of his shtick. I think he knows that he's a clown. I think MSNBC knows that he's a clown. And it's part of the part of the reason they have him on the air is because, you know, it's kind of like the, if it bleeds, it reads things. Only, you know, there isn't a homicide and or a plane crash uh, to report on. So they have, uh, you know, a, a, the the their train wreck is Jim Cramer. Uh, so Jim Cramer basically has made a couple of whoppers just recently saying that the contagion was going to be confined. Um, but uh, most recently, he's being called out for j just two weeks ago touting SVB as an investment, telling you to invest in SVB. Uh, Fox News ran an article headlined, CNBC's Jim Cramer eviscerated for touting Silicon Valley Bank weeks before its disastrous collapse. Jim Cramer touted the potential of SVB Financial back in February. His words did not age well, and he has been skewered on social media by major accounts. And that is nothing new. That is that inverse Cramer. Basically, everything Jim Cramer says, every prediction he's made, uh, has turned out to have the exact opposite. New York Post reporting their headline, CNBC's Jim Cramer urged viewers to buy Silicon Valley Bank stock just last month. Uh, and of course, uh, he's out there just yesterday saying that even though the price of Bitcoin is rallying, he would dump his Bitcoin, telling you to dump his Bitcoin. Of course, uh, you know, he would previously been a Bitcoiner and he got all in right before Bitcoin's bear market because, hey, the inverse Kramer, and then he dumped his Bitcoin and here we are rallying and he's telling you not to buy Bitcoin. So if the inverse Kramer holds true, uh, Bitcoin's going to pump. And of course, we know it's going to pump after the 2024 halving, at least, you know, not financial advice. Uh, those of us that have been here before, this isn't your first halving. If history doesn't even necessarily repeat, but rhymes, you know, that four-year cycle is going to lead to a bull run. Uh, and even if it doesn't, even if this time, quote unquote, is different, uh, eventually the diminishing supply and the increasing adoption will lead to uh, a higher Bitcoin price, in my humble belief, uh, one way or another. Well, this is where it gets even more amusing. There's people making a profit, not just individuals doing the exact opposite of what Kramer says, but there's even an inverse Kramer ETF. According to Business Insider today, the inverse Jim Kramer ETF outperforms the market just two weeks after launch. Uh, the inverse Kramer ETF, apparently the um, ticker symbol S Jim, is already outperforming the market just two weeks after its debut. So 
Uh, Jim Cramer is so notorious for being the exact, not just wrong, but the, having the exact opposite of what he predicts always occurring, that now there's an ETF out there, an exchange-traded fund that's outperforming the market based on doing the opposite of what Jim Cramer advises. All right, so we spoke about the Fed, the Treasury, and uh, the FDIC stepping in to quote-unquote bail out uh, not only Silicon Valley Bank investors, but any bank in the future that's faced with a bank run. Uh, Janet Yellen, quote-unquote, said this is not a bailout, and a lot of people are trying to say why it's not a bailout, and that's kind of semantics. You know, it doesn't really matter. I guess it kind of depends on what the definition of a bailout is, right? Just like they conveniently changed the definition of a recession uh, as well as a long-standing medical definition recently when the when the facts didn't fit the previous existing definition. But more importantly than that, the reason they say it was not a bailout was because SBB was allowed to go out of business, right? They paid, they, they created a new entity, everyone got all their money, nobody lost any money, but the company goes away. So therefore, it's not a bailout. And if you buy that definition, fine. But this, isn't apply, this doesn't apply just to SVB. This is going to apply to banks in the future. There's this new fund that allegedly won't cost taxpayers any money, which is another whopper that, I, that I'm amused by. And there's people defending it. And they present logical arguments. And maybe that's the case right now. But wait till that fund starts getting tapped. Uh, there's not that much money in that fund. Just one more SVB would be, you know, like something like $50 billion more than the fund has. Uh, and so even if they're just going to print money, uh, they claim they're going to pay for this fund by fining banks in the future, increasing fa- increasing fines that the FDIC assesses banks. Uh, but you know, that's bird in the hand, bird in the bush thing. They don't have that. They don't have those fines yet. So the money's going to come from somewhere. And I firmly believe that, you know, uh, the best intentions always overlook unintended consequences. And uh, if they start bailing out a lot of banks, uh, it, this is going to be born with the taxpayer, even if it's just printing money, devaluing, debasing the currency, devaluing your U.S. dollar or your euro, uh, or countries that rely on the U.S. dollar that don't get any of the advantages uh, that come with uh, debasement, but get all the negative, the ne- all the negatives. Uh, it will infect it. Everything the government does affects us, right? After all, all of it is taxpayer money. There is no government money that is not our money. Even FDIC fines are taxpayer money. Everything the government owns is taxpayer property or taxpayer money. The government is the people, right? At least it's supposed to be in the United States. Even in communist China, they're the People's Republic of China, right? Theoretically, everything is owned by the people in communism. Uh, So that's BS. They know it's BS. But pretty much everything this administration has said in the last couple of years has been a a complete bullshit. Pardon my French. Uh, And that I'm not going to get into all the conspiracy theories or the non-conspiracy theories or the thing that happened uh, in 2020. But nobody trusts this administration. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. He's a laughing stock, and that's why the Democrats don't even want Joe Biden to run again, even if you're, I mean, especially if you're a leftist, right? But anyway, I digress back to the, uh, back to where this leads us. And the big question is, does the Fed pivot? Do they continue raising rates? Because just before SBV collapsed, Jerome Powell came out and said that not only were they going to continue to increase rates, they were going to have to do so perhaps more aggressively than they had even anticipated, meaning maybe they would keep those smaller rates hikes coming for longer, or maybe instead of the quarter percent, you know, 25 basis point rate that was expected to come next week, maybe it was going to be a half a percentage point. Uh, You know, maybe instead of offloading their balance sheet, they're going to have to start buying more treasuries. Some of that's already happening because, uh, by fiat, no pun intended, because this new fund to bail out these banks is going to be based on them pledging their treasuries. Uh, So the Fed is going to be giving them money for these treasuries. Uh, So nonetheless, many people are saying that this quote-unquote bailout is already a pivot. That being said, inflation came in officially lower, but exactly in line with where it was expected to come in just the other day. Um, So they were already, people were already expecting that that the next next rate announcement, which is going to be next Wednesday, next DCA Wednesday, March 22nd, was going to be a a quarter percent. As expected, that's pretty much priced in with, I believe, an 80% certainty among the markets. We won't know until they make the announcement, but... Uh, if anything, uh, you know, the Fed's unofficial mandate is financial stability, and they're the ones that ultimately caused this banking crisis. So uh, we'll see what they do on Wednesday, but it would be absolutely suicidal for them to jack rates faster and higher. Uh, so next next DCA Wednesday podcast, hopefully that decision will already have been made and we can get into that more. Who knows what will have happened? You know, there's more banks like Credit Suisse out there. It's not just the United States, foreign banks. Uh, that are facing this contagion. Uh, so, like, 
last week was you know double whammy because it was a pre-recorded episode but it also happened on wednesday even if it had been live that was before it really hit the fan a lot can happen between now and next wednesday and bad news usually comes out on friday night right and that gives them a whole weekend to try and figure out what they're going to do about it there's a reason bad news dumps usually happen on a friday uh, and amongst them is because they basically want that circuit breaker that timeout. Uh, it's supposed to have happened on a Tuesday night. They don't have time to get together and have a meeting and, and come up with how they're going to fix the problem before the markets tank in the morning. We already spoke about what happens to exchanges if they all lose their banking connections, no on-ramps. You know, will that drag the price of Bitcoin down or will it actually make the price of Bitcoin go up? I don't need to get back into that. Some other interesting news out there on the regu regulatory side. Joe Biden is expected to announce, announce, formally announce his new budget proposal for 2024 tomorrow. And amongst those, there's a whole lot of doozies in there, whether you're a Second Amendment supporter uh, and, you, and, you, and you're into that, which we don't need to get into, but there's some, there's some doozies, some executive actions, et cetera, he's going to announce on that. Uh, but with specific regard to Bitcoin, he's proposing a 30% excise tax on mining based on how much energy miners use. A lot of people have already speculated about how is that even going to be calculated because you know, if you're mining with flared gas, you're not really using electricity off the grid. You're generating, you know, you're running a generator and like an alternator on your car and mining from that. Trust me, they will find a way and whatever that way is will be the most illogical and the most detrimental um, possible because that's how government always works. I was reminded when I cleared customs coming back into the country just the other day, you know, they had a big sign on the wall warning $50,000 fine. Uh, for bringing meat products back into the United States. Because, you know, people are trying to smuggle eggs and meat into the United States. And I thought, could you imagine if your local city put in a new stop sign or a new red light camera and they made the minimum fine $50,000? That would never fly, right? People would be outraged. A $50,000 speeding ticket. You know, you, you accidentally squeak through a pink light uh, and you get a, you know, a red light cam ticket and it's $50,000. That would bankrupt the average American. You could never pay it. It's money that wouldn't necessarily even be dischargeable through bankruptcy because when you owe the government things, they just have a way of making your life miserable and compounding on top of you until you're just broken. And that's why the fine is $50,000 for bringing a carton of eggs into the United States. It's an over-the-top extreme hammer that they make so egregious that you're just too afraid to even risk it. You know, if the fine was $100 to bring eggs uh, into the United States, people, people would probably give it a try, right? Because if you get caught, it's a hundred bucks. The chances are you probably won't get caught. Most people anyway, right? So, um, so they, they use these blatantly unconstitutional over, you know, overly, overly punitive uh, regulations and fines. And I expect them to do the same thing every time they try and post a Bitcoin regulation, especially this administration, which is, you know, people say Donald Trump was no fan of Bitcoin. And I say Donald Trump was just an ignorant about Bitcoin. He, he was listening to what he was listening to what his treasury secretary had to say, but the Biden administration is flat out anti-Bitcoin. And as Adam Meister pointed out, there is a non-zero chance that Elizabeth Warren will be the next president of the United States, or at least the next Democratic nominee. She ran for president last time in the primaries, and she would be, as Adam Meister calls, the absolute worst, the most anti-Bitcoin person we could possibly have in the office. Um, you know, she's she, she's made it her mission in life, basically, to... to, to, to uh, to oppress and try and crush Bitcoin. Uh, and that, of course, is because the big banks, the big banks in her back pocket. You know, she's an East Coast leftist uh, who likes to rail on the big banks while lining her pockets with their money. Uh, but nonetheless, Biden's budget proposes a 30% excise tax on Bitcoin miners. So good luck collecting from the average Joe and their ant miner S9. But what they'll probably do is make it illegal and you'll have to assign some checkbox on your 1040 promising you not mining. And if you are and you don't pay, you don't voluntarily disclose their tax, you know, then they hammer you uh, and they make an example out of you in federal prison somewhere and send you to send you to federal prison over having an ant miner. Uh, so they're going to lose, just like the war on drugs. They had some pretty heavy duty pen penalties for having marijuana, right? But uh, how did that work out? It doesn't. The government has never been able to regulate something out of existence. It didn't work for alcohol prohibition. It didn't work for drug prohibition. They were unable to shut down people pirating movies, people pirating music. Uh, ultimately, it will fail. Ultimately, everything that fails, everything that doesn't hurt Bitcoin makes it stronger. So in the grand scheme of things, the best case scenario, the uh, worst case scenario is the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that they can temporarily drive the price of Bitcoin down, which is the best case scenario for me because it means I'm going to be able to stack more sats 
before the price of a Bitcoin becomes just astronomically high. And we'll be talking about dollar sat parity or something along those lines where 20 bucks will only get you 20 sats. Um, you know, I'll take those 80, $90,000 sat purchases all day long. Maybe we dump down to where we can make $100,000 sat purchases. Some people would think that's a bad thing. I would be excited. Uh, right after the bailout was announced, Caitlin Long had a tweet that basically this was going to be good for risk assets to watch all risk assets going to explode. Max Kaiser tweeted essentially the same thing, uh, tweeting that Bitcoin and easy 10x from here, the Fed and Treasury just capitulated like a Walgreens manager, letting all the looters walk away with everything in the store. Uh, I mentioned multiple times when we said, "Is this? Has, have we seen the bottom? Was 15,000 the bottom? And I still don't know, right? I don't have a crystal ball. I've always said that the previous bull runs and the previous bear markets have always had black swans in both of them. You know, we had a double top last time because Tesla, you know, announced that they purchased Bitcoin and they were going to let you use Bitcoin to buy Teslas. And then we had a dump when they reversed that policy. Um, Matt O'Dell on Rabbit Hole Recap last Thursday mentioned, for example, there something along these lines that there's a world where FTX never happened, um, but that they and Barry Silbert got too greedy and basically effed things up. Bitcoin, he said, would easily be 200K by conference day. And some of that's tongue in cheek, if you remember his 200K by conference day mantra during the bill run uh, that never happened two conferences ago. But he has a point there. These black swans are the only reason that we had, you know, the FTX collapse is the only reason we went down to 15, right? And this, this current debacle is the only reason we dipped down again. Uh, in a world where none of that stuff happened and Bitcoin were allowed to exist and run relatively unmolested by external influences, Bitcoin, who knows where it would be at. Uh, but like I said, this might not be the last uh, black swan event that happens. Uh, we could very well be, you know, we were already officially in a recession. If you buy the old definition, most people assume the Fed was going to cause a recession if we weren't already in one. This looks very much like the beginning of the 2008 financial crisis now, especially with SVB going down. Uh, so in the long end, in the long end though, in the long and the short of it, we are less than a, we're about a year, less than a year and a half, less than a year and a month away from the next halving cycle, the next bull run, uh, and the next, you know, the next step to getting closer to up and to the right, the, the next step to maybe one day fulfilling plan B stock to flow model, right? Uh, Bitcoin becoming more scarce and therefore more expensive. Before I get into the reason why we're here, which is our DCA purchase, I want to say, uh, I want to give another quick shout out to the Good Beans a coffee shop in uh, San Salvador, El Salvador. Just today, and I haven't had a chance to try these, I got two more pounds of coffee uh, from El Salvador. Uh, I've got their bold, which I'm being told is basically their, you know, the, the same thing as their dark roast, which I've already tried, which is fantastic, but from a different farm. And I got their new house blend, their Torgos, which is, you know, the official bird of Sal El Salvador. I haven't had a chance to try that either. I'm told basically it's the same roast as the Via Espana Saturinus that I had on air couple weeks ago. I cannot wait to try these both. If you have never had coffee from El Salvador, they are fan it is fantastic. Uh, Good Beans is not a sponsor. I'm just fanboying on them. I, you know, this is my second order from them. So if you're worried about sending, you know, money or in this case, Bitcoin to El Salvador and both my purchases were made with Bitcoin. Now, disclaimer, I didn't use any of my stack. I actually used Strike. So the money came out of my debit card and went to them in Bitcoin. Uh, so I didn't trigger a capital gains event and I didn't didn't deplete my stack. Uh, but I'm helping support a Bitcoiner. I'm helping support El Salvador. I'm helping support a small businessman. And I'm drinking some of the best coffee I've ever had. That that Saturinus via Espana State is my favorite coffee I've ever had. And I haven't even tried either of these. Uh, hopefully next week I will have, be able to give you a review on both of them. On Twitter, they are at Good Beans The, like Good Beans, but like The Good Beans with Good Beans on the end. Uh, and I believe they have a website, goodbeans.sv. Uh, in fact, there I don't know if their website's on, uh, online yet. I helped beta when I made this order. I purchased it via their website. As opposed to my previous order, I just DM'd him and sent him some sats. Uh, but if you're worried about sending Bitcoin to, you know, to El Salvador and you, you're worried that it might be a scam, uh, you know, I haven't been scammed yet, so I can, I can, vouch, for, I can vouch for the guys at, at Good Beans. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to get to go down to El Salvador, and they will be a stop if I make it. If I make it to check out Bitcoin Beach, uh, I will make be, I'll be making a detour to the Good Beans Coffee Shop in El Salvador. Again, they're not in San Salvador proper. It's kind of like uh, saying I'm from LA, but you're really from Malibu, or uh, are you really from Glendale, or you're really from Anaheim, or whatever. It's a suburb, I believe, of San Salvador. But for all intents and purposes, uh, it is it is in San Salvador, El Salvador, and I will be going for sure. And so shout out to Gabe and Dave, the two owners, 
apparently the only two employees, a uh, two-person team that runs the Good Beans uh, coffee shop in San Salvador because they make the best coffee I've ever had. Uh, I've been hearing people brag about how great Bitcoin uh, or Bitcoin El Salvador coffee is. Bitcoin coffee because El Salvador is Bitcoin country, right? You know, Max Kaiser said in one of his uh, one of his Kaiser reports, or maybe it was the Orangeville podcast, that uh, the reason everyone's so excited in El Salvador is because they're all walking around buzzing, caffeine buzzed on that that El Salvador Salvadoran coffee, uh, and some of it is pretty strong. Uh, but it just has a unique taste. This is Bitcoin podcast. I don't want to get too off in the weeds on coffee, but I've mentioned before my previous favorite coffee was from a little estate uh, on the side of a volcano in Kona, Hawaii. Uh, Kona Peaberry coffee that they make is just fantastic. And the two things that make it special are the volcanic soil and the altitude that it's grown at and the latitude it's grown at. Uh, and El Salvador shows some of those, some of those, uh, some of those geographic similarities with with what makes coffee so great from Kona. You know, it's rich volcanic soil with all the volcanoes in El Salvador. Some of it's grown at altitude on the side of the volcanoes. Uh, it's just fantastic. Give it a try. Give them a shout out on Twitter. Follow them on Twitter. On Twitter, they're at GoodBeansThe. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm one of the show notes. I think I have their website in there. And their Twitter account will be in the show notes as well. I think it's GoodBeans.sv uh, is their website. But I could be wrong about that. But they're the Good Beans in San Salvador, El Salvador. If you, want, if you like coffee, give it a try. It, it took about a week and a half to get here. Both times is more, quite a week and a half. I think it was like a week and two days uh, to, get, to get to Florida from El Salvador, maybe a little bit longer, depending on where you live. But, um, and that's, of course, if he has it in stock as well. And he's pretty good about, I don't know how their website's going to work out. I think it's only going to list what they have in stock. But he's also really good about posting what they're going to have in stock on Twitter. And, for example, that Saturanius, the Via España Saturanius, uh, that I really love, my current favorite coffees. I think he said they're roasting some of that this weekend. And I will be ordering more of that when it's ready as well. All right. So the reason we're here is because it is DCA Wednesday. Uh, and what is DCA? Well, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this will be our 86th stack uh, we started stacking almost two years ago, not quite two years ago, back in July of 2021. So far, we've stacked 85 times. So our regular interval is Wednesdays, weekly. Our equal portion is just $20. And we did that for two reasons. I did it because I wanted to show that for those of you who are always saying, I only have $50, I only have $100, I only have $1,000, am I too late? Is it even worth it? I wanted to show that even as little as $20 a, a week, uh, is enough to build up a stack, a, a sizable stack of Satoshis. And in less than two years, we've already racked up just shy of 6 million sats. Uh, so I think we've already proven that. Uh, and I also wanted to show that dollar cost averaging, well, I wanted to show, I, want, I didn't know. I wanted to test whether dollar cost averaging was better than YOLOing in by the lump summing investing. I've seen compelling arguments for both sides online. As far as our experiment has gone so far, uh, we've blown lump sum investing out of the water. Some of that might just be timing and luck. But if you had YOLO'd in, uh, you'd have almost 2 million fewer sats if you'd YOLO'd in on July 28th instead of a dollar cost averaging $20 at a time. If you'd taken all the money you invested and just poured it into Bitcoin on that day, uh, you'd have fewer sats, significantly fewer sats. So to that extent, even though dollar cost averaging and um, getting off zero and getting involved in Bitcoin are long-term uh, long paradigms, We've already shown results. Uh, so real quick, we're going to add to our stack. And to do so, we're going to invest using Cash App. Last week, we took advantage of Cash, App, Cash App's automated purchase. I'm canceling that from here on out because it's great. I love it. Uh, it's really convenient. I'm a glutton for punishment, though. And I like to stare at price charts. And I like to make the price ma purchases manually. And I like to do them so while I'm recording the podcast because that's what this podcast is all about. You do you, however. Pick whatever exchange you think is the best for your needs. We're going to use Cash App because I've explained why. Not a sponsor of the show. Uh, there is a referral code in the show notes, though, where if you don't have Cash App and you want to use it, currently I think they're offering $5 free for signing up. The podcast will also get $5 if you use that referral link. So you can basically tip the podcast 5 bucks and get paid to do so if you choose to use Cash App. Uh, we're going to use Cash App, though, and, and that's because it's easy. The fees are not that high when you're only investing a little amount, like $20. So, opening Cash App, I already had the $20 in there this time because I had it queued up in case I forgot to cancel my auto, put my automated purchase on time. 
I click on Bitcoin, click on buy, enter $20, click confirm, and boom, just like that, we purchased another 80,041 sats, and we did that at a price of $23,424.86. So that is down just a tiny bit from when the show started, but not much. Uh, Basically, uh, we're looking at uh, about $40 cheaper, $35, $40 cheaper. Oops, just dropped my phone. That was loud. Uh, Still vibrating in the microphone. I apologize for that. Uh, Then when the show first started, perhaps more importantly though, that's cheaper than our average cost basis, which it's continued to lower. That knocked our average cost basis down by another $52.28. Our average cost basis is now $28,831.49. That is still underwater, but only by about $4,000. Getting closer. When Bitcoin pops above $28,8, we'll be back in the money. And when Bitcoin breaks its previous all-time high of $69,000, uh, will be more than 2x. Um, so that's really cool. So that's a double-edged sword. When Bitcoin goes down, it's going to help us knock that average cost basis down as we get more sats for our US dollar. When Bitcoin goes up, it's always a warm fuzzy to see that we're back in the money, right? They're back in the they're back in the green, no longer in the red. Uh, so that's a little bit of human psychology for you. But that purchase is going to raise our stack to 5.9 million. So now we have 5,965,700 sats. And we've done that just $20 at a whack. Uh, I've already spoken about where we'd be had we YOLO'd in on July 28th of 2021. Uh, And uh, so I don't need to go there. But um, I want to say regardless what happens in the next couple of days, regardless what happens in the next couple of weeks, regardless what happens in the next halving cycle, remind yourself why you got into Bitcoin. Maybe it was to get rich quick at first, but after you bought your first couple sats, Bitcoin changed you. It changed your perspective. It changed what you thought about money, what you thought about the way the world works. That Bitcoin is a language. It's just communication after all, right? Bitcoin is a bank that lives in your back pocket or on your hardware wallet. Bitcoin that lives on an immutable, uh, you know, unconfiscatable, uncensorable ledger that's distributed amongst thousands of nodes around the world, even in outer space on satellites, maybe on Mars one day, they'll have a side chain. Uh, who knows? But regardless of what happens to the price, Bitcoin isn't going away. You know, if the price of Bitcoin goes down in US dollar terms, feel fortunate because you're going to get to stack more Bitcoin. If you believe in Bitcoin, if you believe Bitcoin is going to go to the moon one day, if you believe in hyper-Bitcoinization, every dollar that the price of Bitcoin goes down, you should be thanking your lucky stars that you're going to stack more sats you're going to have a bigger chunk of the new of the new financial future. Conversely, if the price goes up, you know, that makes you feel better because people tend to look at things valued in whatever the current reserve currency that they use on their day-to-day basis is. Most people are still on a fiat, well everyone for the most part around the world is still on a fiat a fiat, you know, fiat mindset, a fiat basis. Very few of us have, you know, gotten on zero. They say get off zero as far as own some bitcoin ultimately get on zero, which is own zero fiat. Now that's not feasible for most people yet. Uh, So we look at our stack and we look at it in terms of US dollar value. And so it's always better to see when you look like a financial genius, when your stack is worth way more than you paid for it in fiat terms. Uh, So I consider that a win-win. If the price of Bitcoin goes down, yay, we get more sats. If the price of Bitcoin goes up, wow, look at how much our stack is worth. You know, Bitcoin's going places. Uh, Either way, what I think is important is that you keep plugging along you know that you believe in Bitcoin for a reason, and none of those reasons have changed. If anything else, the banking, the banking collapse, the financial crisis that appears to be brewing, um, that just proves Bitcoin's use case. Remember, the 2008 financial crisis, you know, the banks closing, the bailouts, the bail-ins in some countries where they just took your money to make the banks whole, to bail out the banks with your money instead of taxpayer money, which is also your money, but money straight out of your savings account, money out of your pensions, money out of your checking account. Uh, that proves Bitcoin's use case. This is not going to hurt Bitcoin in the long run. Uh, in the long run, it just proves that Satoshi was right. And here we are with history repeating itself, you know, uh, just 15 years later. Uh, we're exactly where we were when Satoshi saw a need for Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is only stronger and its use case is only growing by the day. 
So keep that in mind. If you tend to get downhearted when the price of Bitcoin goes down, I look at it as a joyous occasion. Bitcoin always goes up into the right. As Adam Meister says, we're just one day closer to the next all-time high. I firmly believe that's going to happen, uh, you know, after the next halving, just like it always has. Adam Meister had a one Bitcoin show on Sunday, which he hasn't done. A, I guess it was a This Week in Bitcoin show on Sunday. He hadn't done one of those in a while. That's his panel show where he invites, quote unquote, the best guests in Bitcoin. Uh, and it's not just him giving his opinion, but basically uh, he spoke he spoke about about that and how in you know he he referenced his two hundred and ten thousand block theory, which we spoke about in last week's episode in detail, uh, and that according to his ten two hundred ten thousand block theory, this is two thousand nine. We're we're doing our basically our repeat or our rhyme of two thousand nine. So he says we're not going to see a new all time high this year. Uh, the the bear market in his mind is can continue. Now he has a different different definition of what what it takes for us to be in a bull run. Uh, he says the bull market will not uh, occur officially until we break thirty two thousand. Uh, which is double the low. So even if Bitcoin continues going up into the right, we're still in a bear market according to that definition until we break 32,000 USD. And he doesn't think that's going to happen this year. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Uh, but he, he's right. You know, if you if you look at the previous cycles, in 2019, we went sideways. We popped for a little bit and then we went back down a little bit. And we didn't really start taking off until just before the halving when Bitcoin started steadily working its way back up um, to the upper end of where it had been not its all-time high, but, you know, in the teens. And then it was uh, six months later, so in December 2020, when it punched past that previous all-time high at 20,000. Uh, and then it took two runs, you know, first in April where it hit 66,000 and then dumped because, you know, the, the Elon dump that people like to blame it on. Uh, and then in November when it, it hit its $69,000 all-time high. So, you know, each time is a little bit different. Uh, but what's important is, that you keep plugging along and you keep growing that stack because all that really matters, at least to me, is the number of Satoshis in my stack is going to continue to increase. And along those lines, you know, uh, if, if, it, if Bitcoin does crash, by all means, buy the dip. And I did buy the dip, as I referenced earlier. We bought it about like 19800 I don't include that in, in the numbers. It's not in my spreadsheet for the purposes of our DCA um, because, you know, it's cherry picking and it's not, it's not representative of, of dollar cost averaging because it's not consistent. Uh, so you can buy the dip, but more importantly, we're going to continue our DCA, DCA stack on Wednesday and every Wednesday uh, until there's either no more Bitcoin to purchase. Bitcoin has gone to the moon, gotten so expensive that $20 won't even buy you one Satoshi. Uh, and or you just get bored and stop listening because hopefully you're filthy, stinking rich on your, your resort, your, your, your mansion on your ranch on Mars or the moon or somewhere. But along those lines, until that time, Keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.